0: The no not make show
1: Flash moments for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from a leech, oligarchs stay fed. Deep state, faith fed. Everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion and this melted pot. We live in time to build a new system. Unionize, labor rights. Highlight the issue. Talking heads left his
2: best. The saga continues. Continues. The No Miki Show.
1: Hello and welcome to the Nomiki Show. It is Wednesday, May 12th. I am Nomiki Konst and today we have another installment of Out of Touch Politicians. The series that makes you scream, these people want to govern us and they have no idea how we live. In our last episode of Out of Touch Politicians, Mitch McConnell called enhanced unemployment benefits the equivalent to $15 an hour lucrative. That was just yesterday. Well, today we learn that you don't have to be a callous Republican to be totally, wildly out of touch with real people. In this installment of Out of Touch Politicians, uh, we take you to the progressive-ish heartland of New York City and to the race for the Democratic nomination for mayor. The election is on June 22nd. It is a ring choice voting election is also a wild matching funds election of one to eight in matching funds. So the candidates were asked, what is the median price to buy a home in the borough of Brooklyn? There are not many challenges facing New Yorkers bigger than the question of finding an affordable place to live. Good theme, right? But most of us in New York can't even think about buying a place to live because it is uh, way too expensive. So we fork over rent, which as we know, is way too damn high. You'd think that anyone who wants to be our mayor might have some sense of the scale of the problem. You think? You think as, as, as we're facing an evictions crisis, as people have been forced to leave their homes and have to pay back rent in the midst of a COVID economic crisis, you think at least they would have asked their consultants for, for some research. So when I ran for office in New York, I did the research on housing costs myself. Oh my God, and no consultants told me to do it. Well, not Sean Donovan who actually used to be the housing commissioner, literally. And not Ray McGuire, who made millions at Citibank, which, of course, is one of New York's biggest mortgage lenders. Housing crisis, anyone? Hm. Sean Donovan said he, he guessed the median price for a home in Brooklyn was $100,000. Uh, McGuire? Mr. Citibank McGuire thought it was, are you ready for this? $80 to $90. $1000. Who are these people? You can barely buy a parking space for $80,000 a year in New York if you can afford a car and the insurance. Huh, and the gas. If they were off by a bit, this may not be a big deal. Nobody expects the mayor to memorize every vital statistics statistic, but they were way off by a factor of 9 or 10. The actual median price is $900,000. And Catherine Garcia, who was just endorsed by the New York Times is the former sanitation commissioner, whose campaign is on the rise, uh, came close, estimating $800,000. And so did Scott Stringer, whose campaign isn't a free fall, he said an even million for a Brooklyn home. But, you know, he is the controller of New York City. So, like, he should know he covers the finances. Is this ridiculous? Oh, but wait, 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 it gets better. Eric Adams, who is rising to the top right now and who is my bet on winning, not my choice, but my bet, and has been the whole time, Eric Adams is the borough president of Brooklyn. And he came in at $550,000. Amazingly, since I think he is one of, uh, he's on the same plane, on on some other plane of existence, the other candidate who made the number exactly right, probably because he had good consultants, is Andrew Yang. By the way, there were also candidates who way overstayed the prices, which feels to me like a kind of fancy virtue signaling. Maya Wiley, she guessed $1.8 million. (laughs) There's one other amazing piece to this entire kerfuffle. The question about home prices in Brooklyn was to put the candidates by the editorial page of the New York Times, which dropped in for a brief cameo appearance and local coverage of New York City. Way to do it, New York Times. The New York Times wants to make a contribution. They should focus their attention on, uh, you know, the profound shortage of affordable housing in New York or the eviction crisis in New York. Maybe ask the mayors how they're gonna deal with that, how they're gonna deal with the fact that small businesses who don't have small business rent control still, after, I don't know, a decade of discussing this, in the city council. Maybe take on the real estate industry, which has completely strangled our city. The horrifying conditions in public housing. Sean Donovan, what's your opinion on that? It's not like you had any say say in that during the Obama administration. And the rents, which even after the pandemic are still way too expensive for most of us. Most New Yorkers, as I said, rent their homes or their apartments. When I ran for New York City Public Advocate, I was on stage one night with a dozen other candidates. We were asked, the candidates were asked, who rented and who had cars? Are you ready for this? There were 17 people on the ballot. I mean, there were 12 people on stage that night. I was the only candidate who rented and only one other candidate didn't have a car. Buying is already a sign that you're in the elite in New York. You've made it into higher spheres of New York incomes. So it is no wonder that the New York Times asked about buying. Just frame the question the way that way is incredibly elitist. The main question in New York City isn't about buying. It is about building more affordable rental housing. And I'm not talking about like this pseudo lottery, poor door rental housing where you still have to pay thousands of dollars. Public housing, which is despicable in terms of of, of how people are being housed with lead, lead, uh, dirty pipes, uh, broken ceilings, dilapidated housing. People are paying thousands of dollars a month in New York City to pay for their homes in New York City public housing in NYCHA. This is about clearing out the tax incentives for developers. It is about our supposed progressive city council members not only no longer taking real estate developer money, but no longer rezoning their neighborhoods for, for big developers. There are too many supposed progressives who show up at DSA protests who have rezoned their neighborhoods for high rises with poor doors, yet won't take on those developers because that's the fourth rail of politics in New York City. So even as the New York Times succeeded in showing how out of touch some of the candidates were, they also showed how out of touch they are. This is even worse than, than George Bush senior's what's the price of milk moment. This is how stark our inequality is, the highest inequality in the country before the COVID economic crisis. The journalists of New York are in a bubble echoing each other on Twitter, more concerned with drama rather than digging in deep. And the candidates are protected by their consultants, their donors, and the institutions which support them, who often take the money from the bad actors, even if the candidates that they support do not take that money. They are from Mars, and the rest of us New Yorkers are stuck on Venus, and Elon Musk is not coming to save us. And it is incredibly hard already to make ends meet in New York. But once this economic crisis sets in, we know what the eviction numbers are. We see how developers have been protected. We see how much money we're all gonna owe for those of us who haven't been able to afford our rent, who've lost our jobs, who've lost income, who've lost healthcare, who've had family members affected by COVID and the debt that's ensued who have been living off of credit cards, if you even have access to credit cards. Who need to take the subway, but the subway doesn't work because it's been starved. The hours have been cut. Who can't afford Uber rides into the city when the subway's not working because those Uber rides cost 40 to 50 to $60 a ride and you'll be late to work and you might lose your job. To the single mothers, to the caregivers, to the undocumented people, That's the city that we face today. And so a big part of this problem is not just about how out of touch our leaders are, it's about how out of touch our journalists are. People who are running for office should have a sense of what their communities are like, their cities are like. And I'm not talking about talking points, I'm talking about really understanding the numbers on the ground. We're gonna be facing a very different type of New York City and cities across America and communities across America once the real numbers come in. And that's something that our local leaders are gonna have to face, progressive institutions are gonna have to face and the Biden administration is gonna have to face. And the least that can be done is maybe the consultants will be able to brief you. Or you can call me because I know firsthand how expensive it is to find a place to live in New York. All right. We have a great show for you today. Jordan Zacharin and Simon Roeder are here. And when we come back, Erica Andiola is here. She is the uh, Chief Advocacy Officer for RAICES, the, Ref- the Refugee and Immigration Center for Education and Legal Services, a uh, good friend from the burning campaign. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Erica Andiola is the chief advocacy officer for RAICES, which is technically the Refugee and Immigration Center for Education and Legal Services, but also means roots. So, Erica, hi, it's been a while. How you doing? Hi, doing well. Are you
2: able to hear me just fine? You sound great, you look great. great. <laughs> as always. Yeah, no, doing doing great. There's a lot, a lot going on, but always, always good. <laughs>
1: So I'm really excited you're on because uh, uh, yesterday I uh, I got sucked into this like Fox News interview where we were talking about the border crisis. But it was one of those libertarian leaders, uh, libertarian leaders, libertarian hosts, but also, I guess, leaders, because it's a small movement uh, who (laughs) framed the argument as if. Oh my God! These poor women and children at the border. Why won't Biden do anything? What is going? On? I, I and there was a Wi-Fi delay. I lost my mind. Listen, Biden's not perfect. I can't wait to hear your perspective on this. But I was like, excuse me, I'm sorry. What, Stephen Miller? <clears throat> anything have to do with the, the 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 cronyism? They have reframed this entire debate. The right wing, as if it was created in the last three months and by no means was it not created before the Trump administration but like the 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 i, I, I don't I, I mean they get away with it they get away with it so i guess my first question is
2: what is the state of the actual
1: debate right now
2: yeah well we can look at it from maybe a, a few different perspectives right one perspective is that the amount of harm that the Trump administration had Excuse me. Had within the immigrant community, and what he did to our, you know, uh, migrant sisters and brothers who were coming through uh, when he was president. I think it created enough awareness about the conditions of inhumanity that exists at the border that more and more people were willing to speak up and say, "We we can't have kids in cages. We can't have all these terrible inhumane inhumane practices done in our name as 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 the United States." And so now you see some Republicans, even including, it's crazy, but including Ted Cruz, the governor of, of, also the governor of Texas, Greg Greg Abbott and and others, using this argument that now the the Biden administration are being inhumane, right? Which is, to be honest, a different conversation than they had, you know, several years ago where it was all about, you know, the illegal aliens and the criminals and all that. Not that they have changed some of that, but- I would say in the other perspective is that it, what's just so horrible about this is that they're not doing it because they actually care. They're doing it because they are um, aware that this is something that people care about. And now they're using us as as a political card to, to try to gain some points without mentioning all the terrible things that their president did to, to children and families.
1: Sorry, something's going on with my... <laughs>
2: Microphone. Uh, it's a
1: pretty lazy argument, right? It's it's something that um, you know. I feel like the the Republican Party is 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 grasping for their their next messaging and to cling to the the Trump administration. Simultaneously, the Biden administration is in a tough position because, as you know too well, it's not like the Obama Biden administration was not. Uh, part of, of the expansion of this crisis for many reasons, which we can get to in a second, but now they have to somewhat uh, amend the situation at the border that was exacerbated by Trump while simultaneously like not completely uh, abandoning, I guess, the Obama administration. I mean, do you feel like there's, a, there's an acceptance of, of, of what the Obama administration did to exacerbate this crisis? At this point with the Biden administration, it's a weird dance, right?
2: Yeah, I would say that the circumstances are different than they were um, under Obama. And you can trust me when I say that I'm one of the people who was very critical of the Obama administration when he was president. And a lot of his actions towards um, immigration were not what we thought they would be when he got elected. I would say that right now, the Biden administration came into an entire different uh, reality of the policies at the border, the policies of asylum, of just in general of immigration. I mean, they have, they have to start from a place of reconstructing some of these policies, bringing them back. Uh, when we're talking about, for example, asylum or refugee resettlement, right? Like, they were gone. they were. <laughs> Um, just all uh, completely destroyed so that, you know, they really were trying to make sure that people wouldn't come to the US. And so now you have an administration who's coming in, um, you have a huge challenge to, to recreate a lot of these systems. And also I really do think that there is a stronger movement in the immigrant rights movement. There is a stronger narrative of the humanity of migrants that didn't exist before that I think has pushed the Obama, I'm sorry, the Biden administration to ensure that they are doing everything in their power um, to make sure that the kids are okay and and the families are able to be okay. Now, can they do more? Absolutely, there's still something called Title 42, um, which is basically what Trump uh, enacted so that people wouldn't come using COVID as an excuse to not let people in uh, and, and request asylum. So adults and, and and families are not able to request asylum yet. And that's something that the Biden administration hasn't changed and that we are pushing them to change and to create the systems to welcome families and, and adults as well as they're doing with children right now. Um, can we talk about some of the
1: conditions that differed? Like how did, this is such a co- hard conversation because the Obama administration. Um, okay, we'll get to the roots in a second, but I I, I do really want to clarify the difference between the border conditions, the detainment at the border during the Obama administration. Which let's just be very clear: you are you were undocumented, correct? Like, what, what's the status you're in right now? Just so folks have a background of, of where you stand. Yeah, I
2: have I have DACA
1: right now. Okay. so so. Uh, how are the conditions different between the Obama and Trump administration?
2: I mean, are we talking about a particular day at the border? Yeah, yeah. So, I would. There's, if we kind of take a step back and think about the way in which immigration has been framed, not just by Republicans, but I think in so many ways also by you know some moderate Democrats and. Uh, especially under the, 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 the Obama administration, there's this um, sort of, the framing of people um, migrating into the US has been uh, based on security, right? It's not based on humanitarian needs and, and, and kind of thinking about why are people leaving if, they, if there's nothing we can do to, to, to keep people from leaving and migrating, how can we ensure that we have a humane system at the border? Um, and rather, we 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 based all of our over of our, not just the narrative but the actions in security. So what that means is that now the um, border patrol is literally the biggest biggest um, law enforcement agency in the entire nation, right? So. Maybe this is a a bit of a tangent, but why did why did Border Patrol end up going to um, uh, Portland when things were, you know, going on uh, over there last year? Why was it that it was Border Patrol? Because they have so many resources. They're so big. Right. And so my point here is that what we have right now is a situation where the people in the front lines of the border are cops. They are military people. And of course, the way they're going to receive people is in the ways that they know, right? Putting them in places that are not humane. Um, and, and unfortunately, that's exactly what they did under the Obama administration. That's what they did under the Trump administration. And that's why you saw like all these places that looked like cages, you saw the, the blankets, right? The, the foil, um, whatever you call them, the blankets that the kids were using because we have a system that was created to enforce just to to militarize the border and not necessarily figuring out how you could create a welcoming border where you had people who really needed to seek asylum, you know, be welcomed and and, and not be in those kinds of situations. I would say that in this moment, people um, like adults and families, there are very few who are coming again because of Title 42. And children, in the, in the situation of children, there is a, a, a much, much lower number of kids who are in the hands of Border Patrol in those conditions. Majority of the kids are right now in the hands of um, HHS um, and the um, refugee resettlement agencies, uh, which is better, <laughs> of course, but we need to get them, of course, out of there as well as soon as possible into the hands of their sponsors and parents.
1: In terms of of, of of the facilities, the the, the camps, uh, the reports that were coming out during the Trump administration in terms of the profiteering, could you describe a little bit more of that? Like who, there was a turn. It went from bad to like, and, and, and just, and I've talked about this on the show before, I, I was in Guatemala about a month ago and I met somebody who was um, put in, in one of these facilities and then Moved off to other facilities, uh, and in really, really, really inhumane, um, very inhumane circumstances. You know, so much so, not just put into houses with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people in very small spaces, very cold spaces. Not to mention the journey to get uh, to the border, but also was put in shackles around his neck, around his wrists, around his ankles, and then forced to go into a week of uh, farm work camps to make the money. To be able to go back home, because when they took him back to Guatemala, they gave him seven dollars. He earned a dollar a day uh, to be able to go from Guatemala City to uh, uh, Lago, uh, Lago Atitlan, which is like six hours away. You know, seven dollars to get back. Good luck. So, like these these stories don't come out, and I and I say this because I, he told me the story, thinking we didn't know, and and the truth is most people don't know. I didn't know, and I read I read. About the, the the horrifying situation at the border, I didn't know they were putting shackles around people around their necks. Um, so there's money to be made in this. I mean, the, the, the fact that he was like farming, what? what? What can we can we like go through some of the the cronyism of the of the Trump administration in terms of how they saw this as an opportunity because it, that's kind of the root of it, right? Like
2: they saw it as an opportunity to make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't know the the, the exact circumstances of uh, of this case, but what I can say in terms of the conditions of um, the detention of migrants at the border, and I don't think people necessarily understand the different agencies that kind of move people around, um, but just a little quick background is that when people get here, they're handled by border patrol and there's specific places that the border patrol has to hold people, uh, which were meant in the very beginning um, and have been meant to have people there for less than 72 hours. And the purpose of that is to, to know who they are, to fingerprint them to you know all the uh, sort of intakes that they do. And then um, they get transferred over to ICE, um, which is like, of course, a different agency. And then ICE has its own detention centers. Um, and they many times people are there for much longer. Border Patrol, um, again, those places, which are horrible places, were, first of all, were supposed to be for less than 72 hours. I don't think people should be there at all, but the, that's the policy. And under the Trump administration, people were there for sometimes months. I mean, you had literally human beings who were trapped And uh, places where migrants, Spanish-speaking migrants call them hieleras, which means ice chest, because they're so cold, they're um, given burritos. This is what most of the children we interview uh, with Raíces tell us, that uncooked burritos every single day, um, maybe once or twice, maybe in 15 days they would shower once or twice. I mean, just as you can think of, like, as a human being, what are your needs? Most of them were not met. And um, this was from children to adults to entire families. And um, so that to us was, of course, part of the bigger problem of family separation in 2018 and everything else that happened. But what's challenging is that that also, part of it also happened under under Obama. And now Border Patrol is still holding people. And and, and once we let more more people in, uh, if they undo, undo Title 42, we're gonna end up with a similar problem of of border patrol still holding people in their custody and putting them in these terrible places. And so what we're asking is for these entire framework of of militarization and and, and sort of always focused on the security part of things to change to a humanitarian um, framework of how do we make sure that we are receiving people in the most humane ways if we have to process them in in 72 hours where can they be so that they can, that we can meet their humanitarian needs and then they can go on um, and wait for the court so they can ask for asylum. Uh, w- how did we get here? What was, what? what uh, w- <laughs> <laughs> the route. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. You know, I, I, I've been organizing around immigration for over a decade now, and so before that, you know, I was a kid, um, I, I started organizing when I was like 22, and uh, I was completely undocumented, and I don't know the story, the stories of people be, before that, but what I do remember is 9-11, and how things changed in, when it comes to the immigration, um, the narrative, the, the laws, the policies, everything just got so bad after 9/11. And unfortunately, and I, we actually have uh, we created a podcast called Homeland Security that like we talk about immigrate uh Homeland and secu- Homeland Security as a department and how it was created after 9/11, right? With this mindset that we needed to protect America from foreigners, from people from outside. And unfortunately, instead of focusing all of our efforts on actually keeping out threats, like a virus, right, um, Another actual threats to this country, we ended up focusing all of our attention and keeping people out, migrants, immigrants, right? And I mean, I can go on and on and I, I, I do recommend folks listening to Homeland Security, but um, in a nutshell, we went from uh, George W. Bush talking about how we were gonna pass immigration reform and how immigrants were so good to this country as a Republican to a bush and then a trump and then all these republicans who now have completely changed their narrative to really demonize the immigrants and you know narrative shapes policy and policy shapes um the the lives of people so i think that's a really big part of how we got to this point and we have to turn back um what, what specifically
1: as opposed to say like the late 90s when we had our last immigration uh, surge uh where it was primarily, you know, Mexican population. Now it's Central American. What, what's kind of happening in Central America that's led to this crisis, which is, you know, it's not it, it, it's not new, it's been going on for for since the Obama administration, but it's definitely surged.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so this is the reason why it's so important to talk about the root causes of migration and how as a country we can't look away from what's going on around the world. I mean, we are the most powerful nation in, in, in the world. And if we are one looking away from what's happening or contributing to the harm of, 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 of the livelihood, right? Of, of people in other countries, um, we're gonna have people come in and knocking at our doors. And so in the nineties, I am a nineties immigrant. Um, Mexican, And for the most part, if you looked at the trends of migration around that time, it was people like myself migrating in the 90s. And it was also around the time when NAFTA was um, enacted, that was also around the time that I still remember um, many, many people in Mexico, especially uh, farmers, especially people uh, who lived in rural areas, literally getting, you know, um, Out of work, Uh, many people who were growing corn could not longer grow corn because it was all coming from the United States. And I mean, I can talk about NAFTA for another (laughs) whole episode, but what I'm trying to point to is that our foreign policy has had an impact in other countries, whether it is providing, you know, uh, either Things like NAFTA and, and other uh, trade policies and also our aid um, in destabilizing uh, governments or helping um, you know uh, not really helping but hardening the democracy that could potentially happen in, in other countries and all of that has had an impact and to your question on Central America Unfortunately, what we hear a lot from the kids that we are that we are um, providing services to is that um, a lot of them are fleeing because are leaving because there was, in, for example, in Guatemala there was a um, a hurricane. A lot of majority, I would say, of people who have left because of the hurricane are indigenous people. Um, a lot of people are leaving from Honduras because of the violence that has happened because of the gangs. And so there's, there's a lot of root causes, but it's important for people to understand that if we're not being careful in our foreign policy, we're gonna have people coming in. I mean, trust me, you can build the biggest wall that you want to build, and people will find a way to come and seek home and safety. Um, I guess the final
1: question is what, what what do we expect the Biden administration to do? <laughs> They've sent uh, Kamala Harris to to the border. I, I, I She's like the ambassador of, I, I guess, I don't understand why she is the ambassador to this and not Biden, or maybe I do understand. Uh, and it's just classic politics, but also what are we, ex- what are we expecting? Do we expect something big? Do we expect something transformative? Is it sort of
2: happening behind the scenes? And we just don't really know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't really know exactly what the, the steps that they're taking are um, other than what I've also seen on the news and the headlines. i I would hope that they are taking a different approach. I would hope that the approach again is thinking about what is our what are foreign policies that you know we are um, uh, working on right now uh, with other countries. Um, how is the United States either you know helping uh, or intervening in human rights across the world um, rather than helping to stabilize and helping to you know push people out. Um, I hope that that is what the vice president is focused in on and actually changing what we have done in the past. And in terms of the border, I what I can say is this, is that every single year there's going to be a wave of people migrating into the United States. This happens every year. The organization I work with, Raises, has literally every year a plan uh, from like March to August to provide services to a lot of people because this happens every year. So what are we gonna do next year, right? What are we gonna do to ensure that all of um, the, the, the terrible things that the Trump administration did are undone, but also how we're moving past that to create welcoming borders and, Give people a chance to ask for asylum, rather than continuing to build walls and continuing to 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 deport people to harm um, that they're running from.
1: Erica Andiola, we just put your website up there. Raices. Uh, Erica, of course, uh, is the chief advocacy officer for Raices. It's uh, they're doing great work. Thank you. We'll have you on next time to talk about NAFTA because you're right. That's a whole other conversation. I'd love to talk about at some point. Uh, I'm nerding out, wonking out on this, but it's it's not something that's wonky. It's actually uh, incredibly horrifying. And hopefully, um, hopefully, the Biden administration uh, will be able to step it up and 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 help amend these situations quickly and reunify families uh, because we haven't seen the stories trickle in, and and they're heartening, but they're also horrifying that it's been this long. Um, for so many families, to mothers and, and and parents, to see their children. So, thank you for for the great work and the courage. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: All
2: right, we will be right back with Simon Road
1: and Jordan Zachman to talk about the news today. Well, hello, uh, you guys. You know about Sunset Lake CBD. It is a farmer owned company that ships craft CBD products directly from their farm in Vermont to your door. Sunset Lake CBD has a ton of products for everybody. They offer tinctures and gummies and salves and coffee, all designed to help with stress, aches and pains. And their farm was originally a dairy farm in Vermont. It was the Ben & Jerry's farm and they decided to diversify it and grow premium hemp. When you support them, you are supporting sustainable agriculture that enhances rural communities and creates meaningful employment where they pay a minimum wage of $15 an hour and then the employees own the majority of their company and they support independent media like our show, The Majority Report and The David Packman Show, Oh, and breaking news, they have dog biscuits, dog biscuits that even humans can eat uh, because the only ingredients they have are peanut butter, pumpkin, and oat flour. So if you're into that, you can like just sit down and have dinner with your dog, I guess, or cat. I mean, I guess cats like it too. I don't know. They're probably into like more meaty stuff. I don't know. Um, I like cats. I had cats growing up, but I got dogs now. Dogs. Dogs are the way to go, in my opinion. Uh, I love Sunset Lake CBD. I talk about it all the time. People make fun of me because they think I'm peddling it. I'm not. I use it. I use it on my my elderly uh, joint aches and pains. I use Sunset Lake CBD hemp. I smoke it when I get a migraine, which is often. And instead of smoking other stuff, which will disrupt my day, and sometimes it can be really disruptive. CBD is perfect because it alleviates the migraines and then doesn't cause me to go into a paranoid situation where I'm like, "Why am I here on this planet?" That's pretty much it, <laughs> Dorsey.
0: I take the paranoid uh, "Why do I live on this planet?" too, but I also enjoy the CBD stuff with you know when it doesn't have that effect but i'm excited about i didn't know that they had um lotion and soap i don't think the soap has any cbd but it sounds really nice it's kind of hempy and i'm always into new soaps so i'm gonna try that out but the lotion is great i like the uh, the solve but um it's so good. It's, yeah it's like i need to get it on me more you know and it's like you know so you got to work on that so i just want to yeah. try this lotion out and see what that's like so that's next on my my test list i'll, I'll let you know how that goes it's we've become product people <laughs> I, this is a good one to be a product person for I gotta say I've never uh, I've never talked about products before and you know this one it feels good to be able to to talk about this one and,
1: and... a little bit of an update for you my chupacabra bite is is drying out it's been oh, a good. solid. <laughs> It's been nine days uh, since I was bitten by something. We don't know what. Originally, like there's, there's these, there are these insane mosquitoes. They're like dengue mosquitoes in Vieques, which is very close to Puerto Rico. It's an island off. It's part of Puerto Rico. It's an island off the coast. I went there to go film uh, last week, not this last weekend, but the weekend before. And I woke up in the morning and I had a, like, I thought it was like a slew of mosquito bites, but it was like. It was huge. It was just this insane thing that was on my leg and then another part of my leg and um, it popped. It was gross, uh, but I've been using the CBD on it. No, but this is magic. This is, this is medical. Like, like in the old days, we'd go to the pharmacy. We'd like put something on that probably causes cancer. Instead, I've been putting the CBD on and I don't even have my bandaid on now. And it's like, it's doing great because it itches. That's the problem. And so the CBD is really helping because there's a little arnica in it too. I recommend it. You're laughing at me. I also had ant bites. I also thought I had um, sea lice at one point. I'm giving you, I'm. this is like my <laughs> therapy when I'm doing this. They're gonna if call you, me and be like, no me. If you are attacked
0: by bugs too, this product can help you.
1: Yes. They're gonna call me and be like, no me, um, we love that you're so passionate about this product, but could you could you talk about the coffee maybe? <laughs> <weeks>. I'm like,
0: <laughs> no bug bites.
1: I'm like, I have ailments here and hey, so it, it, it is
0: a legitimate cure for uh, what ails you.
1: <laughs> Even that. <laughs> I don't know if I'd make the commercial cuts. Um, no, yeah. but really, guys, it's 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 amazing. Uh, there are a ton of products out there. They are so ethical. They believe in in progressive movements. It's all high quality. It's not like that crap CBD you get at like bodegas or other places. Um, Yeah, highly recommend it. The gummies are amazing. Helps I do the tincture every night to go to sleep. Uh, You can get 20% off of your order if you go to sunsetlakecbd.com. All you got to do is type in Nomi, N-O-M-I. Go to sunsetlakecbd.com. Type in N-O-M-I and you get 20% off your entire order. Yes, Ecosy in Greek. (laughs) That's what you get off of your order. Uh, 20 whole percent. If you go to sunsetlakecbd.com and type in Nomi, we will be right back with our panel. Hello, welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Jordan Zachran is the media producer with a more progressive union. Perfect union. Progressive union? Progressive union. I can't hear you, Jordan.
3: We would like both. I mean, it's called perfect, but progressive would be great too.
1: Why does it say progressive? My news I was like, it's pro- it's perfect. I know that. Yeah, you're, you you See, I had I corrected it because I was like, I know what this is. I I'm follow you guys. It, yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you're also the founder of Progressives Everywhere newsletter. Uh, I swear I will get this right eventually. It's all but, right. You know, we are a, a tiny little uh situation here, and <laughs> Simon Rode is a producer here at the Nomihi Show, he's also a former. Bernie Sanders organizer in 2020 uh, and a socialist writer. All right, lots of stuff happening in the Mideast right now. I think that's pretty much gonna be the, the conversation today just to give you guys a heads up, uh, but it does tie back to home because how dare any New York politician question Israel or even, oh God, or support Palestine in any way whatsoever. I mean, this has always been kind of an untouchable area in New York City politics. I think the the thing is the, 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 things are changing a little bit, but not everybody has gotten that memo. Uh, Andrew Yang, who is, let's just be real, he is a seasoned New York politician. So we don't know why he wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't have the courage
3: Legendary. to
1: go with the flow. He's Legendary been institutionalized. He's been yeah. trained by the most seasoned. I mean, he's worked his way up that ladder. So why would he know what the kids are saying now? Math. Uh, Andrew Yang was protested so much. Oh, how quickly they turn on you. Uh, he was confronted by New York City residents, upset about his support. And when we say support, it's like support for Israel. Let's play that clip.
4: So, now, what do you have to say about your tweet directly to New Yorkers right now? It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking right now. for that. You condemn Israel for their unjust acts against the innocent Palestinians. Sir, I'm yeah, talking we got to him. the I publicists gotta over continue. here. We got a guy. To say, gotta go. Don't say anything no. that's going to fuck your campaign. That's me. why you don't have my vote, and I guarantee you, you don't have the vote of a lot of New Yorkers.
1: So Sweet. this took place in uh in my neighborhood, Astoria. So I like to say this because Astoria. Is uh definitely more progressive than most of the city. That's important to note. Northwest Queens is is is, I think, um, in terms of concentration, the most progressives uh in terms of voting in the entire country. But it is also uh there is a Muslim population in um, a large Arabic community in Astoria as well as others. It's but it's that's significant, it's important. Um so, you know, Andrew Yang thought, why are not going to show up on the day of like uh, the day that that there's just bombings taking place and do a press conference under the Astoria Brit. What on earth? Astoria, Astoria Park, I should say. What was this man thinking? What on earth? On a holy holiday. So uh, <laughs> let's start with Jordan, because he is in New York. Hmm. And Simon, you have lived in New York, so you can speak on this, too.
3: Well, I, Andrew Yang I, I don't know what he was thinking showing up there he's I mean he doesn't really know where he is I mean he's you know hasn't been in he was in New York all of last year so I don't know what, what is what his directional sense is but you know he's backed by a lot of very and uh, very big Orthodox Jewish community and leaders uh, and that's big for him so I do not agree with him at all and like i said, as a jewish person as a jewish new yorker i don't not agree with his policies at all but i think that's why he's doing it that's why he's being you know very firm about i support israel because he has these very right-wing uh democrats there are democrats but they're kind of not they they, they caucus a lot with republicans but he has this like group of supporters that is going to make up a decent core of his base in a In an election that, you know, you only need to get maybe like 25% of the initial vote to win. And so that's why he's doing it. I think it's despicable. And I I don't do not like him. And I think that he's pandering to a very small group of people because he knows it's a very divided election. And that's why he's doing it. Um, But, you know, he doesn't do anything for any authentic reasons. So none of this is surprising.
1: Uh, and authentic, this is a low turnout election, too, but it's also a ranked choice voting election. So they don't just have bets on Andrew Yang; they also have it on Eric Adams, who's the borough president and and probably a few others, too. Um, that's just the, you know. It's the Orthodox community in Brooklyn for for folks who are curious, it's a it, this is constituencies, this is politics one one, like we're not doing identitarian. This is called turnout neighborhoods and neighborhoods are still more or less pretty identitarian. Um, in New York and a lot of major cities across the country. Uh, Simon, you've lived in New York.
4: I have, yeah, and actually my my father's side of the family is Jewish and grew up in New York and um, yeah, this is, I, don't, I want to say disappointing, but it's just so, it's kind of so boring because it's like, this is this is politics, right? Like it's when, some, when a politician takes a stance on a political issue, you'd hope that it's reflective of their values or their moral compass or something like that. Uh, when most of the time, the truth is that they're just trying to win an election or they're trying to win their reelection or they're trying to win more donors. And um, so, you know, I, I feel like, it's like exactly. it's so disappointing, right? And he actually, he put out an ap- apology, if you can even call it. It's not an apology uh, on his Twitter today, um, like trying to clarify things or clear things up. But it's mostly just a lot of the sort of like all lives matter kind of sentiment. Like, you know, I mourn people who died on, on both sides and the violence from both sides is really, it's just like really, just call it settler colonialism and um, people will stop hounding you in the streets
3: about it. It's not not just Andrew Yang. I just saw Gary Peters, the senator from Michigan, put out a statement that like hardly mentioned, you know, Palestinian people at all. And it's I think there's like a fear too. you know, it's, you know, I think Jewish community, even the ones who aren't super orthodox, you know, you grow up and like you go to Hebrew school or something. You get taught about the infallibility of Israel. You get taught that like they're always under threat and they kind of are, you know, but it becomes, I don't want to say a victim complex because Jews have been victims throughout history. But it, it now kind of inoculates, I think, Israel against a lot of criticism in it. Um, so I think people who are otherwise liberal often have these uh, beliefs, and it's very hard to break that. So I think the Democratic Party overall is still in that position. You know, they, they still are catering to the people who are these are old politicians. Andrew Yang is yeah. not old, but like Biden's 78. He's, he, you know, he was born like right during the Holocaust. And so I think that's a, that's a big part of it, too.
1: Well, and, it, and it, it's interesting because we talk about constituencies on a micro level, like New York City. Yes, there's there are constituencies that are, in especially in low turnout elections, like you need those constituencies, especially when there's so many people in a race. Um, it is transactional style, old school politics where uh, remnants of of mach- the machines are weaker now, but like the cultural remnants of the machines still exist. But on a national level, it's about money, and we saw with the Keith Ellison race against uh, uh, against. Against uh, whatever his name was, thank you, <laughs> Tom Perez, I'm like uh, <laughs> uh, Tom Perez and Tom Perez. Um, you know, he he barely squeaked by in that race, and 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 there's a lot of question about whether or not he actually did win it because there's some stuff happening behind the scenes. But there was a massive smear effort uh, right before that election in which you had uh, very right wing. Pro-Israel groups that don't necessarily always align with the Democratic Party. People like Alan Dershowitz going on air. I mean, there's a there's a debate clip of of me. I don't know if we can find it. Maybe we can play it at the end of the show because it's just funny to watch um, debating him because it was it was like the night before the vote in which Alan Dershowitz tried to smear Keith Ellison saying I'm going to leave the Democratic Party if Keith Ellison, the Muslim, is the chair because he's a Muslim and whatever he was doing. And guess what? <laughs> Dershowitz still left the Democratic Party, and then like went to go to Epstein's island and celebrate with Donald Trump and whatever the hell he's been doing. Um, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like, but the Democrats. This just shows this dance between the two sides, and and you know the DNC building facilities uh, have been almost in the majority funded by very pro right wing, pro Israel, um, cons- you know, constituencies. And yet, they don't need that. Like, this is my whole thing. The money is there. Why do you have to be beholden to this? Netanyahu is as far right as you're going to get. He's on a sinking ship. It actually doesn't even work geopolitically to back him anymore under the Biden administration because he's built his relationships with people that aren't necessarily... It's, it's, It's complicated, but... I figured, why
3: i think what's tough is that there is this equation of and because it is the jewish state israel and jews and so it feels even as like a jewish person you initially have this shock We're like oh you have you have to back it and that you know netanyahu i always say like compared him to like george w bush and obviously now trump or whomever like he's just as bad so i think the problem is equating israel i think a lot of jews equate israel and jewish jewish people so if there's an assault on israel it's an assault like an anti-semitic assault and there's this mental gymnastics you have to do I think to, like, get out of that, to break out of that kind of mind, you know, and realize, oh, I'm an American. I can criticize what the American government's doing in the same way that you can criticize what the Israeli government's doing. And I think that people, it just leads, like, our generation are starting to realize that. And I think it takes, like, another generation for people to be more, unfortunately, for people to be more aware of that. And it's it's horrible because people are suffering so much. And it's this, like, mind lock that people have.
1: And and, Uh, and the reality, go ahead. Go ahead, Stephanie.
3: Oh, I just wanted to to chime
4: in there and sort of response. Like you were talking about how like a lot of Jewish people um, conflate Israel and Judaism. I don't think like I know lots of Jewish people who don't do that, right, who are condemning the Israeli government and supporting the Palestinian people. Um, I think a lot of the time it's non-Jewish people in the United States who think that in order to not be anti-Semitic, they have to support Israel um, in 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 every way and um if
1: if if APAC uh decides to take them on a trip to israel and pay for nice hotel rooms and food and and give them campaign donations then sure i'm sure that they'll side with that you'd
3: be amazed at what happens at birthright i think that's that's one of those programs where they take kids who are like 15 16 into their 20s to israel and create this connection because it is i mean i've never been but apparently it's a cool country but i think there is this like People do get caught up in it. And I agree that like a lot of the Christian right is super pro-Israel yeah. because they want, see, um, they want to see, they want to
1: see, they want to see the Jews out and take it over.
3: Well, they, they want to see like the end <laughs> of the world, the apocalypse secret. is yeah. part of their thing. Um, yeah. But so they're not really genuine about it, but it is this weird coalition, but it all ends up being hard right people.
1: Well, okay. Uh, well, we can go down the rabbit hole a, a little bit more, but. There are also progressive Israelis who I know personally, like real progressive Israelis who I know personally, who are also very concerned about their family members and have been posting videos. And I mean, very progressive Israelis. So it's 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 just a, a lot, uh, but I think if we bottom line it around Netanyahu and how the US responds to Netanyahu, because right now when we're seeing our leaders be completely um, just, just, just puppeting whatever the right wing government is saying, rather than having a nuanced take, uh, You know that's that's a concern. Okay, let's shift just a little bit to Jeremy Corbyn because speaking of people who've been smeared for being anti-Semitic, Jeremy Corbyn, who of course was the Labour leader of the UK, he was an MP, he is an MP. uh, He also was the uh, candidate for prime minister twice, and lost last to Boris Johnson. Uh, He has come; he he was attacked over and over, smeared uh, for being anti-Semitic for his foreign policy specifically around um, Palestine. So here is a video of him talking to thousands of people at a rally.
2: There is a point of hope. The whole world is seeing in real time what is actually happening. Our solidarity, our
0: solidarity here in London is to bring about the permanent peace
1: in which the Palestinian people will no longer ever be under occupation again. The man still got it. A couple things. Um, Wow. You've been smeared. You've lost your prime minister position because of the massive smear campaign against you, which worked. They kicked you out of your own effing party and then kind of like kind of bring you back in. Um, Because of this, there has been a massive effort in in the Labour Party to extinguish anybody who like... Recognizes Palestine, <laughs> Palestinian people. I mean, it is the Tony Blair's of the world. The neoliberal contingency in the Labour Party have done all they can to just erase any sort of leftists and paint them as being anti-Semitic. Um, yet he still shows up and gets thousands of people at a rally after he's lost two prime minister uh, races. Where do where we see this going? Is this? I, I hate to think like political positioning, but like he still got it.
3: Well, I mean, uh, the people who kicked him out didn't do too well in the last elections last week. And so, I mean, if anything, he can gloat and be like, I don't think your uh, centrist, toast nothing campaign seems to be working. So uh, at the very least, he must be feeling a li- little bit better about himself, you know, Feel a little more uh,
1: unleashed. <laughs> Jeremy yeah. Corbyn unleashed. Who, who's the next well, I think there's some rumors about the next Jeremy Corbyn, but I don't know, Simon, what's your, what are your thoughts?
4: Um, I, I'm trying to remember um, when... Jeremy Corbyn was arrested a long time ago. There's like a photo of him being arrested. He was protesting, I think, apartheid, uh, which would make this like a very consistent sort of position for him to be holding. Um, But I also sort of feel like it shouldn't be like something that we have to like celebrate Jeremy Corbyn for acknowledging what should be like everybody's position, you know? Like, it should be very obvious what's going on. But I I, you know, I, think a lot more conversation needs to be had about the way that this is covered in the mainstream media um, in, well, in the UK and also in the United States. You know, this discussion of like, oh, the Israel-Palestine conflict is, you know, it's just, it's a very long and complicated history and um, there's violence from both sides and it's just awful. And we would really love to just, there were peace without any, explanation for what the context is and what's going on in the country
1: well much of the corporate media as we're probably aware of is, is uh intrinsically tied to these interests so uh that's for another show <laughs> jordan zacharin simon road we gotta wrap sorry guys uh you're the best we will see you next wednesday thank you for joining us as always Uh, enjoy your week. And thank you, everybody who's been in those chats, all the moderators who are uh, scrubbing the chats of trolls. Get rid of those trolls. They're in there. Thank you so much for all that you do. We're really grateful. Uh, We've got a couple of shout outs. Vinnie Holiday said, you mentioned yesterday on MR uh, Majority Report that the left has become transactional. Can you expand on what that means? Well, it depends on what you decide is the left. I'm specifically talking about some organizations that depend on funding and are newer and, you know, align with like interests and don't necessarily know when they're, they're becoming um, tools for transactional forces. That's another show. That's a very big topic. I don't know if I can answer it all now, but I appreciate that, Vinny. Good question. We'll talk about it. I promise. Prairie Fire Kowalski says hello to Mr. Fancy Pants and uh, pagan communist on Twitch. Thank you for subscribing uh mods do us a favor and send us your addresses as we keep saying so we can send you a nomi mug yeah we got mugs on one right here but we got mugs we got mugs and stickers and bags oh my so send us your addresses at the nomi at gmail.com and in the meantime we will see you tomorrow on thursday 3 p.m eastern right here on twitch and youtube and all the spots and in the podcast world. And of course, please join us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Show. You get lots of stuff, lots of content. Tons of content. And if you, you know, go to that level, you get like swag too. Um, more to come. Go check it out. We will see you manana. Stay in solidarity.